I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. It's Lars Larson. Thanks for listening to my podcast and for listening to The Lars Larson Show. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, you can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit iraadvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's iraadvantage.com. Nobody in Oregon would say, let's keep doing exactly what we've been doing. Certainly not me. That is Tina Kotek, and K Tina Kotek hopes to become the next governor of the state of Oregon. I don't think that's very likely, but welcome to the Lars Larson Show on the eve of an historic election, and I hope that you have all cast your ballots. But consider what she's doing. But first, welcome to the program. If you want to jump into the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every single day on the Radio Northwest Network, which has served the Pacific Northwest now for very close to 23 years, and I'm glad to have you with me. And if you want to join into that best conversation in talk journalism, you can do it anytime you want at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our Twitter poll that one has to do with a race that's going on in washington state i'll give you the twitter poll in just a moment but i want you to consider what's going on right now tina kotek is if anything she is kate brown 2.0 now kate brown was the accidental governor of oregon remember how the state ended up with kate brown they ended up with her because of the corruption of john kitzhopper which made Kate Brown, former Secretary of State, become the governor, the accidental governor of the state. And she's been running a train wreck ever since. And only in the last couple of weeks has Tina Kotek, former House Speaker of Oregon, who was also in a leadership role in recent years, is she been well or has she been willing to actually call out Kate Brown for many of the mistakes that she has made? Because all of her other efforts have simply not worked. 
So I guess she's decided that if she attacks one of her ideological sisters in the Democrat Party, that that's going to actually work. And at the same time, she's attacking Christine Drazen. So Kotek is saying, hey, I'm not Kate Brown. And she's saying, and Christine Drazen, well, she calls her a move to the far right. Take a listen to the campaign ad that Tina Kotek is running right now. A made-for-TV candidate stoking fear, backed by election deniers and violent extremists, Christine Drazen is using Trump's playbook. Drazen already killed bills to address homelessness and protect our environment. As governor, she'd ban abortions, gut protections for LGBTQ Oregonians, and worker protections, too. So if you want Oregon to go hard right, then I'm your girl. Drazen's the wrong direction for Oregon. Now, I want you to consider something. When she says, as governor, Christine Drazen would ban abortions, the governor has no such power. And I don't think even Tina Kotek thinks that there is not going to be a Democrat majority in the legislature after the election tomorrow. Uh, Republicans will likely have a stronger foothold in the legislature, but by no stretch of the imagination are they going to be able to pass a bill to ban abortion. They're not going to be able to pass a bill to take away the rights of LGBTQ. They're not going to be able to do any of the things she just said. But she acts this way because I think she knows that there are an awful lot of voters out there, and I know this because I get questions from voters all the time. Can Christine Drazen ban this or ban that? No, the governor can sign bills passed by what is likely to still be a Democrat-majority legislature. So in other words, Kotex fear-mongering about Christine Drazen is not doing any good. And that's about all she's got left is say, she's scary and I'm not Kate Brown, which she is doing. In fact, Kotek has had to throw Governor Kate Brown, her fellow Democrat, right under the bus, especially when it comes to homelessness and crime. Listen to this. I called for a homelessness aid of emergency nearly three years ago, while Kate Brown did nothing. And Christine Drazen killed efforts to make our streets safer. I'll enforce the laws on the books, increase public safety funding, and get folks connected to treatment. We certainly get don't folks, need a re- Get folks connected to treatment. Now, I want you to consider what's happened. Tina Kotek did not stand up and object when Portland was on fire for the better part of a hundred straight nights of riots and arson and looting, because I think Tina Kotek looked at all those Antifa rioters and the BLM so-called protesters and the murder that happened and the people sent to the hospital. And she thought, this is, this is good for me politically. I'm not going to stand up and object to that. So now she's got to throw Kate Brown under the bus. I mean, I think Kate Brown deserves to be metaphorically thrown under the bus, too. But she's doing it because Kotek is so desperate at this point to say, I'm not her. I'm not her. Except there's nothing in her policies or proposals that actually suggests that she's not Kate Brown 2.0 or maybe even Kate Brown 2.0 plus plus, because if anything, Kate Brown would appear to be a moderate compared to the extreme left-wing positions of somebody like Tina Kotek. But it's all Kotek's got left at this point, and she has been trailing in the polls since June. The margin is not gigantic, but there's a margin there, and it looks like Christine Drazen is going to win the governor's office tomorrow, and Tina Kotek is desperate. So what what can she do? She goes to the voters and says, it's going to be a red state takeover. Listen to this. We certainly don't need a red state takeover to clean up the damn trash. I'm Tina Kotek, and I'll move our state forward the right way. Paid for by friends of Tina Kotek 4792.
Now, hold on. A red state takeover? As I said, Tina Kotek knows, as sure as she is former House Speaker of the Oregon you know, House of Representatives, she knows the Republicans are not going to take any kind of majority in the House or Senate. I wish they could, but they're not likely to take a majority at all, let alone the kind of super majority that it would take to be able to get things passed that are going to do what Kotex says. But she runs enough scaremongering, maybe she can get people to actually believe it. Now, let me give you a short list because I know some of you have not marked your ballots, and some of you may be doing what I've suggested you do. Mark your ballot anytime you want. Take it to the elections office tomorrow and take it yourself. Don't have somebody else take it. Don't put it in the U.S. mail. Take it to the elections office yourself. But if you're considering Drazen, who has my endorsement, even though I'm voting in Washington State, not in Oregon, Drazen has a 100% voting record against big taxes. Tina Kotek hasn't ever met a tax she doesn't love. She fought the 72-cent gas tax. Christine Drazen opposed carbon taxes. She opposed releasing criminals early. That's what Tina Kotek and Kate Brown have been in favor of all the way along. And did you ever hear Tina Kotek say, wow, Governor Brown, you shouldn't be cutting loose all of these convicted criminals, convicted murderers, and convicted rapists? Of course not. She never objected to that. And you'd get more of the same if Kotek becomes governor. So our Twitter poll today, this one has to do with Washington State because Washington State, too, is making critical decisions. Should the Washington State Democrat Party keep on backing a candidate for the legislature that we know lied about himself? His name is Clyde Shavers. His own father came out and outed him said his, fa- his son lied about his military record, said he served as a submarine officer. He did no such thing. Said that he lives in his legislative district. He did no such thing. And apparently exaggerated his mother's immigration story, has not experienced homelessness, did not go grow up in a farming family, and did not reside in the 10th legislative district. And yet, the Democrat Party, full of liars, is still backing Clyde Shavers and has not abandoned him. It is a Monday. It's the day before a big election. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. You're bloody well right. You know he got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. Now, what in the world does a failing and dangerous public transit agency have to do with the Oregon governor's race? I'm glad you asked, and let me explain. TriMet spends almost $2 billion every year providing buses and light rail trains. They don't exactly do a fantastic job. Ridership has been dropping for literally decades, not just because of the pandemic. It's because of the way that TriMet runs. So many addicts and criminals ride the bus that regular folks and even drivers do not feel safe. Have you noticed the transit agency is offering major wages and major hiring bonuses and is having a tough time hiring people willing to sit and drive a bus or drive a train. Now we find out TriMet knows about a fleet-wide mechanical issue with its shiny new FX buses that could send those buses out of control. Only TriMet refuses to tell the public what's going on. 
the Canadian company that makes the FX bus, issued a recall for a steering problem about 90 days ago that they say could cause drivers to lose control. Is that the problem that forced TriMet to pull every FX bus off the streets? We don't know, and TriMet won't say. Don't you just love a government agency with a problem that it refuses to explain to the folks who actually pay the bills, the taxpayers, and those whose lives may be at risk? Not just those on the bus, but those walking down the street if a bus loses control. Oh, and about the governor's race. You see, Oregon's governor chooses every single one of these seven TriMet board members. So do you want that choice made by Tina Kotek, who will likely do it the same way that Kate Brown has been doing it, leaving us with a $2 billion agency that can't get the job done? Or do you want that choice made by Christine Drazen? You get to choose tomorrow, so don't forget to mark your ballot. Jim Jenkins writes in on Truth. Lars, everybody who votes for a conservative candidate in this election should think of themselves as a first responder. They are seriously voting to save their communities and to save the country. And today's question of the day, what happened here? Is the family right? And if you know the family that I'm about to describe, would you mind getting in touch with them? I would offer my show uh, throughout the Pacific Northwest region on our regional network to be able to tell their story. But somebody has to speak up for the family, please. Friends of a Portland man who was found shot to death on a hiking trail in Washington State held a protest over this last weekend. They are demanding arrests in the case. The group of Portlanders were outside the Law and Justice Center in Chehalis on Saturday. They want answers as to why 49-year-old Aaron Christensen and his dog were shot on the 101 trail in eastern Lewis County. Police have questioned a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old, and a family member of one of them has said that the two thought Christensen was a wild animal when they encountered him in the dark in August. The sheriff's office referred the case to prosecutors for charges. The case was then sent back to the sheriff's department last week. The prosecuting attorney's office wants more evidence, so maybe it's just a matter of time. Christensen family and friends say they're frustrated with the lack of information from the authorities and the failure to arrest a suspect in the case. On the other hand, I might tell the family, do you want the prosecutor to move quickly or do you want the prosecutor to get a case that actually holds up? And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. The way has been paved by trademark paving. Just pave it. Serving Southwest Washington. I want to give you one more argument. It's not a new argument, but about Measure 114. And this is for the state of Oregon. This is a de facto ban on buying guns by every single citizen. That includes not just private citizens, but it includes off-duty cops would be banned from buying any gun under Measure 114. And why does it do that? Well, it does that, and I've explained this before, but I want to explain it again because much of the focus from mainstream media is just, well, it requires a safety class. What the mainstream media, for the most part, has not bothered to explain is that the measure says the class must be certified by law enforcement. In fact, most of us would expect it will likely be given by law enforcement, but there is no requirement in Measure 114 that law enforcement actually offer the class. So if you need to have a permit to buy a gun, but you need to take the class to get the permit, and the class has to be certified by law enforcement, and law enforcement at this point 
has no plan whatsoever to necessarily even offer the class, then where are you left? You're left with a ban, a ban on purchasing firearms. And if you say, but they'll get around to it. Yes, they might. If it takes them a year to get around to it, what do you suppose is going to happen to everybody in a state in which no firearm sales, even to people who currently own firearms, even to people who currently have a concealed carry permit, because you must go every single time and take a class. Once you've taken the class, you can ask for a permit. And I would also ask you this, because somebody wrote to me trying to sound reasonable, and he said, Lars, isn't it reasonable that we have more gun safety? I said, what other constitutional right do you know of where you have to get a permit to exercise it? Do you have to have a permit to go to church? Do you have to have a permit to believe in the Bible or the Koran or the Torah? No, you don't. And yet here they're presuming to say, in order to exercise the Second Amendment rights you have under the Constitution, you must get a permit from the government. And you must have a class certified by the government. And yet the government agencies that are mentioned are not required to offer the class, nor is it funded. And I want to tell you one more thing. Measure 114 is primarily supported by out-of-state groups that are anti-gun. They have spent $2.7 million trying to pass Measure 114. The opponents to Measure 114 have spent $140,000. So they have been outspent about 14 to 1. It still looks like it's going to fail, but I want to make sure you mark your ballot and vote no on Measure 114. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Davis Rain writes in, Lars, longtime listener, you probably get thousands of emails a day. About a 1,000 a day is the accurate number. So I'll make mine brief. I moved to Portland last year from Vancouver. In August, it was time for me to get an Oregon driver's license, and I decided to register to vote at the same time. In August, I went to the DMV on the 9th of August to get my new license and register to vote. I had been waiting for weeks to get a ballot in the mail, never received anything. This morning, I went to the Multnomah County Elections Office and asked for a replacement ballot. I was told, yes, their system shows that I'm registered to vote, but unfortunately... They didn't get my registration until, get this, almost three months later. He registered to vote on the 9th of August. The elections office got the notice on the 2nd of November, and their cutoff was the 18th of October. They told me I cannot get a ballot. I cannot vote in this election. That doesn't seem right. I was hoping at a suggestion for how to get my vote to count this election uh, signed Davis Rain. I would suggest this. Oregon has been so busy trying to automatically register everybody in the entire state, and Washington State does the same kind of thing, that they're trying to get everybody registered, even people who have no interest in voting, that they're missing the people who actually went down and went to the effort to get registered to vote. Davis Rain should not be denied his right to vote. You want disenfranchisement, Kate Brown? It's right there in front of you. You've got the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on the eve of this historic election tomorrow. Glad to have you with me on the Radio Northwest Network and really glad to have back on the show after way too long, Ken Vance, who is the editor of Clark County Today. Ken, how are you? I'm great. It's an honor to be with you, Lars. Listen, it has been too long since you've been on the show, but you've got something that might actually have an effect on the way people vote if they haven't been foolish enough to vote weeks ago and drop their ballot in the mail and all that. I, I saved mine for the last day. I mean, I made, I made my choices this weekend, but I'm going to actually deliver my ballot tomorrow. 
But this has to do with one of the candidates running for Clark County Sheriff. What should people know about John Horch? Well, you know, that's exactly what it started out to be, Lars. Uh, There was a lot of information circulating in our community uh, about uh, John. And, you know, I thought it was appropriate for me to take a deeper dive into that information. And and I felt a burden to provide the voters with that information. I wish I would have done it a little bit earlier, but uh, nevertheless, these things take time. And uh, so I did present some information on, I believe it was uh, October 28th, about uh, candidate Horch and his uh, past performance issues while with the Clark County Sheriff's Office. He's been with Clark County Sheriff's Office for over 30 years. And there's certainly some some past performance issues in his file. Um, I felt the most egregious of which was he collected a handgun from a suicide scene and he didn't turn it into evidence until he was later confronted uh, by this missing gun. And he um, eventually said, oh, yeah, it's in the trunk of my patrol car. And I, I believe that's the most egregious. Uh, and, you know, we won't get into why I believe, you know, but you can imagine why that's the most egregious. And then there's other issues. Uh, you know, he he ripped a couple of, uh, I, I should say, he removed a couple of diversity posters from the walls of the precinct. He admitted back in 2003, 2004, he was going through a very rough time. He offered the fact that he had a problem with alcoholism. He was going through a divorce. Uh, he himself uh, offered that uh, there were over 12 domestic violence calls uh, during that time to his home uh, involving his divorce. And there was other issues, uh, performance issues. But then this story took on another life in that there was accusations that there were missing internal affairs documents uh, from John Horch's file. So as I looked into that, I stumbled upon this story that back in 2013, 2014, Uh, the Clark County Sheriff's Office discovered that they had all these internal affairs documents and nothing had ever been done with them. They were sitting in boxes unattended. And so they started this massive project to go through these boxes and determine one of two things. Should the internal affairs documents be sent to the Clark County Prosecuting Attorney's Office for review for potential Brady guideline violations or other violations, which leads to, you know, the, the, the disclosure to defense attorneys in the area who are prosecuting cases involving these deputies. And so uh, that would be one avenue. And then the second avenue, if there's nothing in these internal affairs documents, they would be put on a path towards destruction. Right. And obviously, oh, by the way, can 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 I interrupt for a moment just so people know Absolutely. Brady Act and feel free to correct me, Ken Brady. Uh, the, the Brady Declaration is if you have a police officer who's been found to be untruthful in his official duties, then the defense attorneys say we have a right to know that so that if we're defending somebody and that deputy or police officer has been involved in in basically telling lies uh, in the past, we have a right to raise that as an issue when that deputy or police officer testifies against uh, against a, an accused person. And, and that seems reason I mean, even to a non-lawyer, non-cop, you'd say, well, if you've got a history of lying, my defense attorney should be able to know about that shouldn't he you characterize that very accurately lars 
All right. So so with so, all this so and Horch's Horch's the connecting pin on all of this. Well, not necessarily. And, you know, he, he is from the standpoint of, you know, we deserve to look into his past as a candidate for Clark County Sheriff. But as I said, the story and the, the situation is much greater and much more serious than that, in that uh, I have reported that as many as 60 boxes of internal affairs documents were, were handed over to the Clark County Prosecuting Attorney's Office in 2013 and 2014. This process took several months, and uh, they were turned over by the Clark County Sheriff's Office. There was a record of these documents being transferred to the Prosecuting Attorney's Office. There were spreadsheets attached to each box that were both physical spreadsheets and 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 um, uh, in, uh, you know uh, uh, digital spreadsheets. Yeah. So there's there should be a record of that. And then whatever documents were sent off for destruction, there should be a log for that. And when I called the Clark County prosecuting attorney, Tony Golick, who was became Clark County prosecuting attorney in 2011, joined that office in 2000. So he was certainly the, the man in charge in 2013 and 14. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what your sources are talking about. And my sources are the Clark County Sheriff, Gary Lucas, and his former chief civil deputy, Aaron Nolan. And Aaron and one other Clark County staffer were the ones who completed this process. Actually, they were not allowed to complete the process, but they completed uh, a great portion of the project before Chuck, current Sheriff Chuck Atkins took office and shut it down. But nevertheless, a great as many as 60 boxes of documents were transferred to, from the Clark County Sheriff's Office to the prosecuting attorney's office. And the prosecuting attorney says, I don't know what you're talking about. And the current Clark County Sheriff's Office chief criminal deputy is John Horch. So I'll tell you what, I'll offer Canada Horch a chance to respond today or tomorrow if he wants to. But the other issues, I, I, I think that is, you're right. That is the most important issue. I'm talking to Ken Vance, who's editor at Clark County Today. But also not turning a weapon in, you know, breaking the chain of custody, leaving it in his car trunk, suspension for destroying posters, and then saying, well, I had a drinking problem and I was going through personal troubles and 12 domestic violence calls. I think all those raise, I think, the reasonable question, do you have the temperament to be in charge of a law enforcement agency that affects an entire county? It's a reasonable question. I'd love to hear the candidate's response. Yeah, I, I hope you get his response. He was very cooperative with me uh, for the uh, October 28th story. Uh, so, yeah, I hope he does respond to you. And, I, you know, I'm not going to editorialize on, on that situation. I'm going to let the voters make their own decisions. Uh, but that's my job as a journalist, just to present them the information. But, yep. yes, I do believe I was burdened by the fact I do believe the voters deserve this information. And how is it that, I mean, I don't think I'm being unfair to you, Ken, in describing Clark County today as a relatively small organization, which means limited resources. How is it the Columbian didn't get onto this? How is it the Daily Dead Fish Wrapper Oregonian didn't get onto this? How is it that this story flew under the radar of everybody else in a fairly major sheriff's election? Uh, Ken, we're going to encourage people to take a look at your story at Clark County Today, and I appreciate you taking the time. We'll look forward to you coming back. I'll get to your phone calls and emails in just a moment, but uh, coming up in a moment, I want to tell you about an organization, 
Oregon Parks and Rec Association. Now, this is not a part of the state government, but it is an association that represents the point of view of people who use the state parks. And they had some rather interesting things to say about diversity. We'll get into that. It is the day before an election, so I expect we may have a few candidates who will call in, and you're certainly welcome to. In fact, if Ms. Uh, you know, Glusenkamp, who's running against Joe Kent for Congress, she ever wants to call the show, we'd be glad to put her right on. In the meantime, 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Monday. I hope you have all marked your ballots. That is, if you're allowed to vote. I can't believe how many people have reached out to me and admitted I don't have a ballot for tomorrow. And they've told me I can't vote. Despite their best efforts to vote, last week it was a gentleman in Deschutes County who said that both he and his wife had moved back to Oregon after spending some time out of state. They were taking care of some family issues uh, that involved their extended family. They got back sooner than they thought they were going to come back because they sold their house here. And the gentleman said in August he went down, registered to vote. His wife went down and registered a couple, three days later. And then he never got a ballot, but his wife got a ballot. And his wife's a Democrat, by the way. He's a Republican. So he went to the elections office and they said, oh, well, I'm sorry. Uh, we didn't get any notice that you had registered to vote. And, uh, you know, he said, look, I got a driver's license. I told them I wanted to register to vote. They said, I'm sorry, there's no record of it here. But some maybe you did it too late. He says, my wife did it three days after I did. So how did I get cut out of having a ballot? Well, they didn't have an explanation for him. So, unfortunately, this seems to be happening to a rather surprising number of people who want to vote. Now, this is while while the state of Oregon has been trying to, you know, sign everybody up to vote, even pre-register kids who are 16 and 17 years of age. And how is it that when you put all that time and effort into registering as many people as you possibly can, that you forget to get the people who actually went to the time and the effort to go to the office and sign themselves up to vote. And now you're telling them uh, the day before the election, I'm sorry, you can't vote. The notice didn't get to us from DMV, even though you did this almost three months before the deadline, uh, November 2nd. He did it on August the 9th. So it's one week short of three months and the word just was percolating its way through the massive bureaucracy that Oregon has. Our Twitter poll today, should the state of Washington, should the Democrat Party in Washington keep backing a candidate that we know to a fair certainty lied about himself and his military record? That's Clyde Shavers. And by the way, I'd talk to Clyde Shavers anytime he wants to be on the show. We've reached out. He has not. And at least a couple of major newspapers have withdrawn their nomination, their endorsement of Clyde Shavers. But the Democrat Party is still backing that candidate. Should the party back him? I would say no. You can vote any way you like at Lars Larson Show. And brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Let's go to Ryan. Hey, Ryan, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. Thanks for asking. Hey, uh, you know, I got a question about ranked choice voting. Uh, There's this one very uninformative commercial on TV, and that's it. I kind of done a little research, and I think I understand the basics, but I wanted to hear it from your mouth and your perspective. 
It's a terrible idea. Let's start with that. Let's start with okay. that because we I agree, want to give you. We agree on that because that's what I thought too. Okay. Second, I always hate it when people want to talk theory all day long. They don't give you a practical. Here's a practical example. Alaska has ranked choice voting. So recently, Sarah Palin, a Republican, was running against another Republican and a Democrat in a race to be in Congress to represent Alaska. Now, she got about 35 percent or 32 percent of the vote. Her opponent, her Republican opponent got about 32 percent of the vote. So the two of them, the two Republicans, got about 65 percent of all the votes cast. The Democrat Got about got the other, got the remainder, about 35% of the vote. Guess what happened under ranked choice voting? She didn't get in. Her Republican opponent didn't get in. The Democrat got the nod. Now, any system that produces a result where 65% of the voters vote for a Republican, but you end up with a Democrat, and it could go the other way just as easily, does that kind of system make sense to you? No, no, that makes no sense to me. And the other thing about it is, it, you know, we have enough trouble in, in the United States with all of the issues uh, they talk about with voting. And and so now you want to do something like this, where you're taking votes from some person and giving them to another and trying to count that. And it just seems to add a whole element of risk to what should be a simple A and B choice. It, it should be. And Ryan... I will tell you this. I live in Washington State where they have the jungle primary, as they call it. I hate the jungle primary. Now, what what I think doesn't mean here or there, frankly. Uh, It's just my opinion. But when you, at least in Oregon, you can have a number of Democrats run for the nomination. You have a number of Republicans run for the nomination. And that works pretty well. Then you have a Republican nominee and a Democrat nominee going into November. And as Oregon illustrates, you can even have an independent candidate in the form of Betsy Johnson for governor, for example. So it's not that you're locking it up so only the two two parties get to say, but you get a clear set of choices. If you are in a heavily conservative or heavily uh, liberal area, you could literally have two Democrats running against each other, and that happens in Washington state. Well, how much of a choice is is it if you get the choice of a Democrat or another Democrat? Or, and if you're a, a liberal, you might say, well, how much choice do I have if I get to choose between two conservatives? One just happens to be more conservative than the other one. So bring back the primary nominations. And, and make them decide earlier in the day and, and get rid of the jungle primary. Don't, for God's sake, don't go for ranked choice voting. And it's on the poll. If I see RCV ranked choice voting anywhere on the ballot, I vote no on it. Vote no, vote no, vote no. Vote for Christine Drazen and vote no on Measure 114. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? The answer? They're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. 
that's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on the day before one of the biggest elections we have ever seen. I'm glad to have you with me. And if you want to join me in the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Our Twitter poll today. Should Washington State's Democrat Party keep backing a candidate that we now know to a fair certainty lied about himself and his record and his background and his military service? I would say no. But then again, that's the Democrat Party. Go figure. Now, in Friday's Twitter poll, we ask you this. Should biological men be allowed to compete against women in beauty pageants? I said no. 94% of you said no. Only 6% of you said yes. Today's Twitter poll can be found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. And it's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at Ultimate Truck Service. Now, there's a whole host of issues, and I want to get to your phone calls on these, but let's bring a Democrat voice into the conversation, and that is my friend Josh Marquis, former district attorney and lifelong Democrat. Sadly, you know, even even the antics of Joe Biden and the rest and Tina Kotek and uh, and Kate Brown have not uh, dislodged him from the party of slavery. Josh, how are you? I'm pretty depressed by the politics. Yeah, I'm de- well, I'm actually invigorated by it because I think there's a big red wave coming not just at the Pacific Northwest, but at the whole country, and that Democrats are about to get a wake-up call. Do you think that's the case? I think that is. In, in, in uh, political science school, we learn about something called the Thermidorian month that happened after the, uh, the French Revolution. And the concept is that when um, things are really, really screwed up, and, and this happens over and over again, that the overreach on one extreme tends to go much, much farther until it sort of finds its place. This can apply to, frankly, both right and left wing. I do not think it is a good thing, but I think it's very likely to happen, yeah. Okay, because because I would ask, I mean, the only counter I'd put to that is, what was the overreach of Trump? Uh, let's cut taxes. Well, <laughs> let's put America first. Uh, you know, wh- where was the overreach there that caused the allegedly caused the reaction of 81 million votes for a president, so they call him, uh, who who doesn't seem to be very popular today well, at all. Well, let's just put it this way. Um, I, I voted for Biden. You've made considerable Sadly. fun of me and made it the point that he's an inadequate candidate at best. So why would people, not just me, but tens, maybe dozens of millions of people be so willing to vote for Joe Biden simply because they wouldn't vote for um, uh, Donald Trump. But frankly, Lars, we have a bigger problem right now. We we have the uh, Democratic Party of Oregon um, basically uh, trying to buy the state election at a point I think that you and I would agree that it may be we may be getting close to too late. And in terms of pulling Oregon back out of the fire, whether we're talking about homelessness, crime, uh, school uh, turning into the toilet, uh, 
drug, drug abuse, out of control, um, you know, businesses closing down. And all we get from Tent City Tina is she actually has the stones to run ads run by her uh, East Coast benefactors um, saying things like, I believe in law enforcement, which is so ludicrous and Hogwash. so ridiculous, it's almost, you know, Unbelievable. Well, and and what I made, I started out today by talking about the fact that here's Kotek, who's so desperate that while she wasn't willing to criticize Kate Brown at all during two years where we had a pandemic and Kate Brown vastly overreached, where we had riots and arson and looting and even murder uh, because of the Antifa BLM riots, Tina Kotek didn't say a word about it back then. It was just like, hey, fine, this is working out well for us. And now all of a sudden she's become the anti-Kate Brown because she hopes, I guess, that if she throws Kate Brown under enough buses, I mean, four or five of them maybe, uh, that, that she can pull out a win, uh, which, which really is disingenuous. And none of the press corps seem willing to say, hey, Tina, where were you? During the riots, condemning the riots. Where were you? Or, yeah, the where were you on, in my case, uh, Measure 108, which uh, now says juveniles can commit murder and get away with it. Um, I think we're, we're putting something away, though, Lars, and that is it's even a little bit scarier. Um, you know, Kate Brown was always a little bit of a happy warrior, frankly, not always the brightest bulb in the box, but really not an evil, vicious person. Um Kotek is really cold. She does not like people. And um, I think this was all a strategy to basically take the Judas goat, which is what they call uh, a person like Kate Brown, lead her out onto the slaughtering floor. And then when, you know, the big animals come down and chop them up, Tina steps back and claims, I know nothing like the old uh, (laughs) Sergeant Schultz. No, Sergeant Schultz. And, 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 you know, what, what to me is truly, you know, just incredible is that Tina genuinely has absolutely no interest in the thing I'm most interested in law enforcement. I can get that, you know, people have different interests. She, uh, the DA's association was so wimpy this year that they withdrew an invitation that they had made to Betsy Johnson to come speak and instead decided that they should all get invitations for five minutes of video, which you don't need to know that that's pretty pathetic substitute. What was fascinating was that uh, I thought Betsy did a great speech. Uh, your candidate, Drazen, did a pretty darn good speech. She clearly cared about it. It was as if um, Tina really couldn't care less. She was given, I think, six minutes. She used two and a half of it. So the point being that the people who kept the country safe, and if she were governor, the governor safe, were of so little interest to her, she just didn't have time. Yeah, and this this is this is where we are now. A couple of other, let's hit these quickly. Measure one fourteen, the de facto ban on everybody buying guns, including off duty cops. What should people do with that? People should vote no. I mean, there might be a a, a wisp of a good idea in there, one or the other, but it's contradicted by uh, by laws that will be overturned by federal district courts. And it won't care how much people cry and weep and, and, and wring their hands. That's not the basis for what's constitutional. It is a gross on, over, over-constitutional reach. All right. Now, what about what about the other issues on the ballot? you got about 30 seconds to hit 111, well, 112, and 113. Is the, is the most suspicious or seems the most lenient. 
Measure 112, well, what we're going to do is just take slavery off. Well, no, what we're going to do is take involuntary servitude off. So about a year after this measure passes, it's going to be impossible to get to get any of those people convicted of rape, murder, child molestation, to even pick up a broom, because their argument's going to be, I expect to be paid a competitive wage. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, they can pay the minimum wage as long as they send them the bill for the three hots and a cot and medical care and college. And I have a feeling I know which bill is going to be bigger than the paycheck. That's Josh Marquis, the former DA. Got to talk about Joe Biden, who again has renewed his war on fossil fuels, including oil. And this is while America is paying stratospheric costs for oil, diesel and gasoline. That's next. And your phone calls. No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new new drilling. That is Joe Biden this past weekend. And I guess you'd have to be as crazy as slow Joe Biden to misunderstand the president's message. Coming into office off after a campaign to end fossil fuel. Now, I know some people have griped at me for calling a fossil fuel. I'm using a term of art. We understand what the meaning is. It includes coal. It includes oil. It includes natural gas. It includes all of those. If you want to call them something else, uh, that's fine. The term of art is fossil fuel. You know what I'm talking about. But this is a guy who campaigned on the idea that he would end coal, that he would end the oil business. And the problem is, Joe Biden created the problem that we're all dealing with now. At first, he denied the problem in the summer of last year when the price of gas and the price of diesel went up dramatically. It was 239 the day he took office. Five months later in August, it was almost 40% higher. And when he was asked about it, he said, oh, it's temporary. Uh, the price will come back down soon. Well, they have not come back down. Not soon, and that doesn't look like ever, unless he manages to crush the American economy altogether. At that point, gas and diesel may be in the tank, uh, pun intended, but we will be as well. Welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, I'll get to your calls here in just a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers, you'll always go first at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. But here's Joe Biden. Gas prices peak above $5 a gallon. And I guess Joe is counting on Americans to buy his senile act because he's doing a great job. He should win an Oscar for pretending to be senile if he's actually pretending. But gas peaked above $5 a gallon. And lately, Joe Biden has been saying, well, gas was $5 a gallon when I came into office. That is a bold-faced lie. It wasn't even half that price. But his message is not just about oil and gas. It is about the power that keeps your lights and your heat turned on and the power that in many cases makes your job possible. I mean, how many of us, not just talk show hosts, but how many of us would have a job if the boss said, hey, I'm sorry, we can't keep the lights turned on or the power bill is so high we can't afford it anymore? How many people would have a job when electricity becomes unaffordable? And yet this past weekend, on starting on Friday and then into the weekend, Joe Biden made a pledge again to shut down coal plants all across America. And when his spokeswoman, Karine Jean-Pierre, boy, is she earning her paycheck because she's got to be just as confused as Joe is. She's asked about the fact that the president basically picked a fight, a fight so public 
and so bold that even Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, where they do a lot of coal mining, he actually turned around and sent a letter to the president saying, how dare you say this? But I want to remind you what Joe Biden's point of view is about coal mining and about the fact that he says, oh, well, we'll wipe out your jobs. This is the same thing Hillary Clinton had said. She said it to a whole room full of coal miners saying, we're going to wipe out your job, but we'll find something else for you to do. If you want an idea of what Joe Biden actually thinks of coal miners and about their prospects for getting a job doing something else, listen to this soundbite from 2019. So this is not quite three years ago. Listen to what he said about coal miners. Anybody who can go down 300 to 3,000 feet in the mine, sure enough can learn how to program as well. Give me a break. Anybody who can throw coal into a furnace can learn how to program, for God's sake. Anybody who can learn how to throw coal into a furnace can learn how to program. So Joe Biden's closing message to voters this past weekend should make your job as a voter very easily. No more drilling for oil at all. In other words, he's going to bleed our strategic petroleum reserve down to nothing. He's going to beg for foreign dictators uh, and Saudi Arabia and the rest to produce more oil because he needs gas prices to be low, but only till tomorrow. No more coal that now, by the way, let me remind you of the numbers, and I'll tell you where I got them from so you understand whether you can trust them or not. The electric grid in America is 22% of our electricity. And you say, okay, well, what about wind and solar? Wind and solar produce right around 8% total eight to nine percent of the electric grid so coal produces more than twice that much joe biden says we'll get rid of that no more drilling well that means no more oil but it also means no more natural gas natural gas produces about 40 percent of america's electric power and the greens have made it clear they don't want natural gas any more than they want coal Nuclear produces about 18 to 19 percent, and these are brand new numbers from the Joe Biden Energy Information Administration. So they don't want nuclear, they don't want nat gas, they don't want coal. That wipes out about 80 percent of America's electricity. What do wind and solar produce? About 8 percent. Actually, I'll give you the latest numbers from Joe Biden's administration. 9.2 percent from wind, 2.8 from solar. Heck, wood and garbage produce half as much as what solar produces right now. And when you say hydro, well, in some regions of the country, hydro produces a lot. But nationally, 6.3%. That's what hydro produces. So if you want to be cold and in the dark, go ahead, go for it. But listen to what Joe Biden said about shutting down coal that sparked that fight with Joe Manchin. We'll get that sound by for you in just a second. I just want you to understand, this is how dire the situation is. If you want to be freezing to death in the dark, listen to what Joe Biden says about coal and shutting it down. So it's going to become a wind generation. And all they're doing is going to save them a hell of a lot of money and using the same transmission line that transmitted the coal-fired electric on. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America and having wind and solar Yeah, we're going to be shutting down these plants all across America. I'm just telling you, the numbers do not add up. If you say we're going to get rid of 40%, uh, 20% of America's electricity that comes from coal and 40% that comes from natural gas, because believe me, the Greens hate natural gas just as very much. So what he's talking about is turning the lights out on you. 
And if you say, well, that's not going to happen, not in a modern technological country like ours, just remember, California was close enough to the margin this past summer that they very nearly had to turn the lights out there. And what are they doing in the meantime? Everybody from Joe Biden right down to state governors are saying, buy an electric car, tear out your natural gas furnace and install electricity in your house instead. Well, many of us don't want electric heat in our homes. We understand that it's too expensive. And by the way, it's even more expensive in some parts of America. It is prohibitively expensive. And in the meantime, at a time when the upper northeastern part of the United States is literally going through allocation on oil for heating people's homes, a lot of people heat their homes with oil-powered furnaces. And Joe Biden says, hey, no more drilling. Now, you can say, no, he said that a couple of years ago. No, he said it this past weekend. No more drilling for oil and coal plants will be shut down. If you can't add that up, connect the dots. Understand they're talking about taking America down. And you are going to be on the front lines of that. When the electric lights don't turn on, when your electric heat doesn't work, when the natural gas is cut off, you understand they want you to freeze to death in the dark and bend over and kiss your backside goodbye. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get back to your calls shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. Naysayers always go first at 866-439-5277. Emails go to talk at LarsLarson.com. And welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for the past 22 and a half years. Now, the man on the line with me right now is U.S. Senator Mike Lee, who's, uh, well, of course, he's from Utah. But he's also endorsing Tiffany Smiley. Senator, welcome back to the program. And tell me what you like about Tiffany Smiley. Thanks so much, Lars. It's good to be with you as always. Look, um, Tiffany Smiley embodies everything we need in the United States Senate right now. She's energetic, youthful. She loves our country deeply. She understands the cause of so many of our problems. Our problems are not of our own creation. They are of the federal government's creation. And uh, the the effects of long-term Democratic spending, sometimes with contributions from Republicans in Congress, have resulted in rampant inflation, making the cost of living uh, just unacceptably high in the state of Washington. Failed energy policies have caused the price of gasoline to increase to a a shocking $5.26 per gallon on average uh, around the state. Uh, Meanwhile, we're dealing with the effects of crime, fentanyl pouring into the state of of Washington due to lax border policy, problems in our education system, all brought about as a result of bad policy from Washington. Tiffany Smiley is the best person to turn these problems around, and we need her in the United States Senate. Let me ask you about something. I'm curious, Senator, what do you think the end game for the Democrats is? Because usually when you see, I, I mean... You watch politicians do things all the time, and you say, okay, I know what they're aiming at. They're, they're going for universal health care. You see where they're going. Where does the complete destruction of the United States of America, economically, politically, uh, you know, from, a national, from an international perspective in foreign policy, weakening our military, 
A lot of us wonder, is there some deeper, darker agenda going on that would cause an entire party and most of the people associated with it to say, let's do as much damage to America as we possibly can? Because none of this, even if you like their plans, I don't, but even if you like their plans, none of this seems to work out well in the short run or the long term. So what's the agenda? No, you're right. It doesn't work out. It never works out because the laws of mathematics and physics are such that when you spend too much money through Washington, the response, the result is always inflation. Uh, Milton Friedman, the Nobel Prize winning economist, explained to the American people four and a half decades ago, last time we were going through a major inflationary uh, cycle, he explained that in the United States of America, inflation has one cause, and that's excessive spending by Congress. It is that simple. But for Democrats, their answer when we go through things like this is always more cowbell, more of what's causing the problem, more federal spending. And their explanation is quite bafflingly to say, yeah, the reason we're going through this is that we haven't quite spent enough and we haven't put enough burdens on an already burdened economy. So we just need to do a little bit more. And that's where the unicorns will arrive and make everything better. Well, the unicorns haven't shown up. All we have are some very unpleasant effects where people throughout the state of Washington and throughout my state, throughout every state, are suffering. Hardworking families, moms and dads are struggling to put food on the table and keep a roof over their children's heads and gas in the car just because of bad spending practices and failed policies. That's why this red wave is coming. And that wave, that red wave, that glorious red wave, one of the best things it's going to bring to Washington is Tiffany Smiley. Well, I'm glad to have you on. Let me ask you about your own race, because this is, it's turned into kind of a nasty one, hasn't it? Yes. It's turned nasty. And why? Well, my (laughs) opponent, uh, a guy named Evan McMullen, is pretending to be an independent. He's an independent who voted for Joe Biden, who campaigned for Joe Biden, encouraged other people to vote for Joe Biden, who actively courted the exclusive endorsement of the Utah Democratic Party, who, while courting it, embraced a number of leftist Democratic policies, who has raised millions of dollars on Axe the Democratic donor network, and has plowed that money right back into the Democratic industrial complex by hiring consulting firms that handle his advertising and all of his other campaign work, uh, firms that represent only Democratic candidate clients. And so, uh, yeah, that's what's made it interesting. We're going to win this, but um, it's been much closer than it should because my opponent has deceived a lot of people into thinking he might be one of them. Let me ask you about another issue, and that is the FBI. You've suggested that after this election, uh, we may have to do some serious restructuring of the FBI. Is the FBI, I mean, from my point of view, the FBI is so thoroughly messed up from top to bottom that you might actually have to just shut the agency down and replace it with something brand new. Is it possible to actually fix this one? Or is this more like what you'd have in house terms if you said, we got to tear down here. We're going to have to tear this thing down all the way and then just build a brand new one. Yeah, the, the answer to that question, I think, is going to depend on what we find out, whether a teardown. Uh, and rebuild uh, is required or whether we could do it um, uh, through some reforms and restructuring. I think that will be borne out by investigative hearings that we'll be holding. 
to get to the bottom of exactly where the problems are. Some suggest that most of the problems are at the headquarters rather than with the field offices and the rank-and-file um, agents who, who do most of the FBI's work. Others say that it's rotten to the core, but we'll get to the bottom of that. Let me ask you about energy, because just over the last three or four days, we've seen the president come out and declare war on coal again. It almost sounds like his campaign in 19 uh, and in 20, where he said, no, we're going to shut down drilling, shut down fracking, shut down coal, shut down the coal-fired electric plants. Is he deliberately trying to tank his own party heading into tomorrow's election? No, first of all, the president's not all there, and that's something we got to come to terms with. He's just not. Uh, secondly, to the extent that he's conscious of, of his own words and the impact that they have, he's playing right into the radical Democratic donor base, the activist base. They want those things. They want us to say we're not going to use fossil fuels anymore. We're going to phase them out completely over the next few years. There's a big problem with that. I mean, look, we'd all love to have cleaner air. We'd all love to have a, a clean, abundant, affordable way of producing energy, of producing electricity and fueling our vehicles that doesn't require us to burn anything. But no such technology exists. No such technology is on the horizon. And in the meantime, it's never been more possible to use fossil fuels in a way that is cleaner than it is right now. We've yep. got fewer cars on America's roads. I mean, we've got more cars on America's roads than we've ever had, and yet we've got fewer emissions coming from those tailpipes. Uh, our coal-fired and gas-fired power plants uh, are, are cleaner than any of their kind anywhere in the world. We ought to continue to utilize those things, unless or until such time as we figure out another thing that's comparably abundant. But this, is a, this is a pipe dream by the Democrats, and we can't keep smoking the peace pipe until we've got real technology to back it up. (laughs) Senator Lee, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. And we'll look forward to talking after the big red wave tomorrow. Thank you very much. You betcha. That's Senator Mike Lee, who's endorsing Tiffany Smiley for the United States Senate in the state of Washington. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show. And you're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. By the way, I began the first hour in part by telling you about a young man. Uh, I don't know if he's a young man, but he's a young man. He he wrote to me and he said, look, I, I went down to get registered to vote. Did that in August, on the, sec- on the 9th of August. And then he didn't get a ballot. But other people he knew got a ballot. So he went to the elections office, and this is what happened. They said, oh, I'm sorry, there's no indication you were registered to vote. Oh, yes, there is. We got notice from the DMV that you did, you registered to vote in August, but the elections office didn't get it until November, and it came in after the deadline, so no voting for you. Literally, the guy was told, you don't get to vote because the state bureaucracy took almost three months to get his registration from a DMV office to the elections office, three months. Well, that's one problem. And by the way, I love getting these emails because I can tell people the real stories of what's going on. Mike writes in from Bend in Deschutes County, uh, apparently listening on the Radio Northwest Network and KBND. says, Lars, I'm a registered Republican. I just did get my ballot. My envelope had no glue on it. 
Well, do you know what happens if I get an envelope with no glue on it? If I'm mailing a bill or a letter or whatever, you tape the envelope closed. But what, what does that do if it comes to a vote? He said, my envelope had no glue on it. I had to go inside to the county clerk to ask what to do. So not only was I told tape it closed, I had to put my signature on the tape. She also told me a lot of people came in with the exact same problem. So imagine if people just taped their envelope closed but did not sign the tape where they had put the tape on it, and would the ballot be thrown out? Not exactly a conspiracy theory, but I found it interesting. I'd love to see how many more Republicans than Democrats had the glue missing from their envelope. And how shoddy is this vote-by-mail system when people get envelopes that have no glue on them? And is it deliberate? Or is it just a handy accident? Let's go to Ben West, who's running for Clackamas County Commissioner. Hey, Ben, welcome to the program. And you called in to get a final hit uh, before before the election day tomorrow. Welcome to the program. Lars, thank you for having me. It's been a while since we chatted, and it's an honor to be on your program. Well, thanks very much. What What last elevator pitch would you like to make for voters? And then I've got a question for you. Yeah, so I think it's important in this race that people know why Clackamas County is so important. There is no red wave in Oregon without it. No red wave exists without us being successful in Clackamas County. We are the, we are the tip of the spear um, to begin to change direction in Oregon. And um, I'm in a race with, and Paul's office is running in a similar race position too. I'm running in position five against Sonia Fisher. We could have a super majority in Clackamas County Commission in the metro area. And that's so vital because what does that mean? It means we can work with, hopefully, Governor Drazen. We can work with um, other conservative or good leaders to push back against Metro and their creep. We can say no to paying for Portland's problems. Uh, We have the ability to really make some policy that impacts people's everyday lives uh, through local government. And so I want to encourage everybody to make sure that they are voting and everyone they know is turning in that ballot Republicans, non-affiliates, independents, and, and angry Democrats cannot sit home. They have to vote down ballot. You can't just circle Drazen's name or the sexy races. You have to vote down ballot. County commissioners, state house, Senate, um, and all the rest, you have to make sure that we have a pragmatic, strong governing majority throughout Oregon. Okay, I agree with you there. Let me ask you a question. Who was running Clackamas County elections about six months ago? Uh, Sherry Hall holds that position. And she did she did um, she do an even adequate job? Um, I think there were mistakes made. I was on no, that. No, 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 no. Yes or no? Did she do an adequate job or not? In some aspects, yes. In some aspects, no. <laughs> you know what, Ben? You're not you impressing me with with your well. Here's the thing. That's what politicians do all the time. They say, well, on one hand, well, on the other hand, look, I thought she was completely inadequate. I thought she should have been fired. Who's running the election this time? Well, the, the voters get to choose whether or not Sherry Hall doesn't hold her position anymore. Some of what happened was um, uh, some of those printing errors and some of how those things in supply chain issues, some of those things could have happened to any county and happened in other places across the country. And where does she the buck? Her urgency, but ben, her urgency where do- and timeliness was on her. So, like, she wasn't timely, and elections also have to be timely, not just accurate. So I've always been critical of saying, hey, Sherry, you need to be more timely, and you didn't communicate well to the voters, even if you couldn't avoid the printing error on the ballots. And I have every right to be critical because I was on that ballot. I was a part of that whole process. I know. It was nerve-wracking. I know. And that's, so, that's why when that's she why says— That's why she's somewhat nuanced. 
Well, the other thing is her process for testing the vote tabulation machines was to print up test ballots in the elections office, not to test the actual ballots that were going to be used. Is that adequate? Um, I don't. It obviously wasn't adequate because we had it, it didn't it didn't catch necessarily catch the problem in a timely manner, and it caused the election not to be counted in a timely and, way. And did that change for um, this election? No. Did that change for this election? I, I, I believe. No, yeah, I believe so. Yes, yes. That those processes have been updated and, and addressed going into this election. Yeah. Um, see, I and she's no. and, and and here's the thing is I also believe as an independently constitutionally elected person, the voters get to decide and hold accountable. And she's on the ballot. If you have an issue with her race, hold her accountable. I'm running for Clackamas County Commissioner. That's not my race. I'm running to make sure we say no to Metro. We say no to Portland politics. I'm making sure that we have a strong conservative majority throughout the state and throughout Clackamas County. Um, I am proud of the race I'm running against a progressive liberal Democrat who voted for tolling legislation, who partners with Reimagine Oregon, who wants to defund the police and vilify police. I'm, I'm voting against um, endless tent cities and, and, a, and, a, and a culture of lawlessness throughout the Portland area. That's I couldn't agree with you more. Ben, good luck to you tomorrow. You've got the Lars Larson Show. Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Well, here we are the day before one of the biggest elections in American history. And I think there's a big red wave that is headed toward not just the Pacific Northwest, but the entire country. We will wait and see, although too many elections officials are already suggesting, well, don't be disappointed if we don't have a result to, to Tuesday night or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. Listen, the more time they take to count the vote, the more likelihood there is going to be cheating, and we know which party tends to cheat the most. But with that said, I want to invite you to the show, 866-HEY-LARS. I'll get to your calls here in just a moment. Our Twitter poll today, should the Washington State Democrat Party keep backing a candidate, in this case for the state legislature, who has lied about his military service, lied about where he lives, and lied about his own background? I would say no, but then again, the Democrats have their own standards, and if they didn't have double standards, why, they'd probably have no standards at all. I'm talking about Clyde Shavers, who's running for the state legislature. His own dad called him out for lying about his military background and where he lives and a number of other things. You can vote in today's Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Pam Lewison joins me now. A little bit off the elections, but that's okay uh, because we can't be all elections all the time. I think tomorrow is likely to be all election all day long, but we'll see how it goes. Pam, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. Now, Pam directs the Washington Policy Center's Initiative on Agriculture, and you're the director of that. I want to ask you about an idea that I know is being pushed hard, and that is we shouldn't log the forests of the Pacific Northwest and have them produce the kind of jobs and tax revenue and uh, personal incomes and prosperity that they have in the past. We should just, what, set them aside and then get paid by somebody uh, to set them aside as finite carbon? Can you explain that idea, please? 
Sure. So, you know, anywhere where you have undisturbed vegetation, you have what is called a carbon sink. So it pulls carbon out of the air, and as long as you don't disturb it, it holds on to it. Um, the problem with this idea of carbon sinks, and this in particular, is that uh, Washington State's Department of Natural Resources set aside or is trying to set aside this 10,000-acre uh, chunk of forest in Washington to do this, uh, but they didn't really get a whole lot of public comment. Um, they had a two-week public comment window that nobody really knew about, um, and they're trying to say that that's enough for them to go ahead and set aside this land for this carbon sink so that a company like BP can come in and say, well, we will pay for you know, 2,500 acres of this forest to offset our greenhouse gas emissions somewhere else. So in other words, the BP in, in that example is not going to reduce the amount of carbon they put out. They're basically just buying their, buying an indulgence from the state. If you want to view the state like the Catholic Church used to sell indulgences, that's all they're doing. They're buying an offset. And the offset isn't isn't forever, is it? So... In theory, the offset should be forever if it's actually going to be effective. However, uh, there's plenty of instances where companies have bought these offsets, and then 10 years down the road, that land that they were offsetting their emissions from gets forested or tilled up or something like that. And so that offset just kind of goes away because you've disturbed the vegetation. Well, and, and here's the thing. Trees are not forever, are they, Pam? I mean, I know there are people saying a tree is forever and they, they have posters and things like that. But the reality is, especially in the Pacific Northwest, you've got firs for the most part, and they tend to have a life cycle that maxes out around, I think it's about 280 years. And, 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 and yet you don't find a whole lot of 280-year-old trees because at some point either disease gets to them, drought gets to them, fire gets to them, other things get to them, and the carbon that's inside of them goes right back in the air. So is this a little bit of a fraud? I don't, I don't know that it's a fraud necessarily. I think what it is is poor planning. Uh, so one of the things that you have to think about is that certainly trees are not forever. And in fact, there is science that suggests that saplings and smaller trees actually take more carbon out of uh, the atmosphere than mature trees. Because just like trying to feed your teenager, uh, they eat more food. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> when they're growing. Uh, right, when they're growing. So there's that part of it. And the other part of that, too, is that when you have places like the Department of Natural Resources, at least in Washington, they're tasked with things like wildfire prevention. And if you're setting aside these 10,000 acres of trees that you cannot touch, uh are you really abiding by your task of also needing to do wildfire prevention, which includes things like going through and thinning forests and making sure that you have a diverse species population in your forest and pulling out all of the understory? I would argue that you aren't. I would, I would agree with you. I, I, it just sounds like a bit of a, you know, kind of a con to say, why, you buy this tree, we're going to keep it forever, and the carbon will be locked up forever. 
biology, physics, and fires in recent years suggest to me that that's, that's probably not going to be a forever carbon sink. But I guess as long as it makes somebody money right now, it's not uh, not a bad idea. Pam, thanks very much. I appreciate you coming on the show. That's Pam Lewison, the director of the Agriculture Initiative at the Washington Policy Center. To your calls on this day before an election, uh, Dustin's on the line. Hey, Dustin, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, how's it going? Talked to you once before. Um, so I'm a military vet, and I was wondering about Measure 114. Yep. So I've, I've read extensively in all this. The one thing I can't look up or I can't find is what I've been a concealed care permit holder uh, for over 10 years, 15 years. Um, how's, I went through all the background checks with the FBI or the sheriff, all that stuff. What's it going to mean for me? Like, is not it, a damn thing. Another class? Am I going to not have a damn? Yeah, it, it, it means, Dustin, that I have a carry permit for Oregon. I have one for Washington. I, I had one for Nevada that covered another 30 states. I don't have it currently, but I have both states. Your carry permit means absolutely nothing. So literally so I have to go through the whole thing again. Yes, you are. Except for this, Dustin. This is why it's such a fraud. If Measure 114 passes, 30 days after it passes, it goes into effect. And you say, well, I'm going to go down and buy a gun. And you tell the gun uh, store, uh, hey, I've got a whole safe full of guns at home, and I've got a carry permit. Can I buy a gun? And they say, no, you have to go take a class. You say, well, where do I take the class? Well, there isn't a place to do that because it must be certified by law enforcement, probably given. And and does 114 require law enforcement to offer the class? No, it doesn't. And you say, well, what if there is no class? You say, then you can't have a permit. Well, if I have no permit, what happens then? You can't buy a gun. And you say, but I've got a carry permit. I've got a, a safe full of guns at home. Can't I? And I'm military, I'm military veteran as you are. Uh, and they say, too bad. You know, you've just been locked out. Every off-duty cop will be forbidden to buy a gun without taking a class that does not exist and is not required by the law. That's the bottom line. Vote no on 114. Back in a moment, we got some crazy candidates all over the country. I want to share some with you. I will never stop standing up for Big Pharma and standing against my constituents. Yep, she actually said that out loud. That is a woman who is running for the United States Congress in Minnesota. Her name is Angie Craig, and she said, I will never stop standing up for Big Pharma and against the interests of my constituents. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Yeah, there are some crazy ones out there, and I want to share a few of them with you before we go back to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. And as always, naysayers go to the head of the line. But that's just a sample of some of the crazy that goes on. If you want to vote in our Twitter poll, you can find that at Lars Larson Show. And thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for the past 22 and a half years. Consider, for example, the woman who is running as the Democrat to be the next governor of the state of Oregon. Her name is Tina Kotek. Listen to what she's proposing. We make sure they have the services they need. But I will say for Portland in particular, in addition to making Measure 110 work, we need a meth stabilization center in Portland. We need a place for cops to take folks, not the emergency departments, when they are in a meth-related psychosis. Meth Stabilization Center. That's right, your tax dollars spent to allow a nice, safe place 
for people to take illegal drugs and maybe even overdose or have other bad things happen. And then go down to Arizona, where astronaut Mark Kelly is running for the United States Senate. Take a listen to what he's got to say, because he's faced some really tough questions about the fact that his position on America's southern border, which for Arizona is a much bigger issue than it is for every other state in this country, Take a listen, because he says he's been on the job. I've been focused on the border since day one. Okay. I, you know, we have no great effects because we have a wide open southern border. So if that's the best you it, can do, I respectfully request you resign. Been, and let's get someone in the seat who will actually secure our border. Secure our border. As of today, we now have more than 5 million illegal aliens who have crossed into America through what Mark Kelly claims is a secure border that he's been right in front and center on. And then you go off to Pennsylvania, where there's a guy named John Fetterman. Now, I feel for Mr. F- for Mr. Fetterman because he suffered from a stroke back in May. But he lied all the way through the summer, said his doctors had told him he would fully recover and that he would uh, have no problem serving as a United States senator. That turns out to be a lie. And I'll just give you one example. There are many of them that are available. But John Fetterman talking about the U.S. Supreme Court. So I think it's it's critical that we be con- consistent, and I do not believe in supporting the uh, Supreme Court. I don't believe in supporting the Supreme Court. Okay, yeah, he might just end up as the U.S. Senator from the state of Pennsylvania serving in the United States Senate. Sounds crazy to me. And then you've got a candidate named Raphael Warnock down in Georgia. And the thing is, this guy has worked out a very sweet deal because... He not only pulls his paycheck from the U.S. taxpayers, from the Treasury, uh, as, a, as, a, as a senator, but he's also pulling a big paycheck from his local church. And the church gives him the money for his housing allowance, even as his own church has been evicting some of the other people who don't happen to be members up on Capitol Hill. Listen to his explanation for that. Because he won't answer that about evicting the people from the church. And I told him, I will pay that. I'll pay yeah, Sarah, you're evicting them right now. We, we, have, these we, have, not, we have not evicted. Oof. We have not evicted those I tenants. didn't write the article. We, we, you, you're, you're, I didn't we, write the article. Now, the fact is, his church has been evicting people while he continues to get a generous housing allowance that would probably pay the back rent for all the people who are being evicted who don't happen to be fortunate enough to be drawing a public paycheck. I do need to go back to John Fetterman for just a moment because Joe Biden over the weekend renewed his pledge to wipe out the oil industry and the natural gas industry and the industry in America called coal that currently provides about 20 percent of America's electric power. In fact, fossil fuels provide about 50 percent of America's electric power. And an awful lot of the revolution in energy in this country has come about in the last 20 years. We've been fracking wells in America going all the way back to the 1960s. And there are, as we stand here today, about one million fracked wells in America. It's not a bad way to go about getting more oil and more natural gas out of the ground. And yet John Fetterman has a problem. Because not long ago, he said he absolutely opposes fracking. But then when he was asked about that, as he's running for the United States Senate against Mehmet Oz, what does he say about fracking? And can you actually figure out his position on the issue? Take a listen. There is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Oh, uh, 
I, I, I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. I do support fracking. He can't explain why four years ago he was saying in no way, shape, or form does he support fracking to bring out more oil and natural gas. And then consider this, uh, another hit on the subject of Democrats running for office who are suggesting we ought to have safe places for people to take illegal drugs. This is Brittany Peterson. So my question is, do you still believe that supervised drug injection sites are a good idea? And would you support similar efforts at the federal level? Thank you for the question, Kyle. We know that this uh, is evidence-based. It would save lives. This was, it's irrelevant uh, in this race. In this race. So she supports safe places to take a drug that is notorious because it causes tens of thousands of deaths in America every single year. So the taxpayers should provide a safe place to do this. And then you've got uh, Wisconsin's Democrat Mandela Barnes. And what does he suggest we do with all the millions and millions of illegal aliens who are currently living in the United States? Listen to his answer. What would you suggest for their pathway to citizenship? Oh, we should process them immediately into a path to citizenship. Now, get that. You've already got 5 million people in less than two years under the Biden administration that have crossed illegally into America. And now you've got a guy saying, yeah, and the minute they get here, turn them all into citizens. I think that may be the Democrats only port in a storm. Let's go to Jerry. Hey, Jerry, welcome to the Lars Larson show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, I just wanted to correct some of the media because what they I always hear they say, is your life better in the last four years? Well, in two years of it, it was. And then once Joe Biden became president, everything got unraveled. Everything Donald Trump did, be, uh, he unraveled because he hates Donald Trump. And if we would have had uh, Donald Trump's policy still running, where would we be now? We'd be in a lot better shape. I think you're right. And in fact, you're watching Joe Biden just this past weekend. You can't I mean, at one point, Biden was saying, well, look, I, I really wasn't trying to shut the oil industry down. He tried that one for a while about a month ago because he campaigned as anti-oil. He came into office and signed executive orders anti-oil. And then oil prices and gas and diesel went through the roof. We've currently got a shortage of diesel, a shortage of heating fuel, and shortages of gasoline and ro over-the-road fuel that is severe right now. And now Joe Biden says, no, I'm going to double down. I'm going to tell you no more drilling in America. If you don't need a better example of how to vote, well, I think that's it's there, right there. If you don't need a better reason to vote for somebody other than a Democrat, I don't know what it could possibly be. Glad to get your calls. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on the day before a major election. And am I expecting a red wave or perhaps even a red tsunami on Tuesday? Yeah, I am. And I plan to vote. And I plan to deliver my vote, even though I could drop it in the mail and trust uh, you know, the United States mail system. I could trust all the other vagarities or vagaries of the American election system. Tell you what. I'm going to deliver my ballot in person the way I have for several years. I think it's foolish to do otherwise. But I want you to consider what you're hearing as we come up to the last, uh, you know, roughly 48 hours before the election. And I've asked Aaron Wyth to join me, who's the director, national director of the Freedom Foundation. Aaron, how are you? Hey, Lars. Great. How are you? 
I'm doing very well, but I'm very troubled by the kind of role that America's teachers union is playing in this election, because I think a lot of Americans have seen over the last two years that the teachers unions did not exactly perform well. They, in fact, went out and and gave their membership uh, leave to say, we don't want to show up in classrooms. We still want our paychecks. And we know we're not doing a great job on behalf of American kids. But, hey, could we just forget all that? Send us the check. Uh, we want to get paid whether we're producing a good product or not. And an awful lot of American parents who are worried that after the election, uh, sometime in the next year or so, we're going to see the same kind of thing happen again. Should we be? Yeah, I'd be worried, Lars. We've given teachers unions uh, unrivaled power. They have clearly the ability to now show that they completely control our kids' education. They shut down our schools. They made them wear masks in some areas. They're making them, uh, or they made them get vaccinated in order to go back to their public schools. Uh, it's disgusting. When we talk, when we suggested the mere notion that we should be sending kids back into school two years ago, we were labeled as killers. Uh, now every survey in the books is showing that there was more damage done to our kids' health by keeping them out of schools than there ever would have been done uh, by sending them back. Um, and it, it's completely disgusting. And now, of course, all the studies are showing that we've actually gone back 20 years in terms of the kids' education standards uh, as well, all thanks to these teachers' unions. But uh, I'm a young optimist, and I'm bullish that uh, parents and uh, the general public have figured out what these teachers' unions are like and that uh, an endorsement by the teachers' union merely means that these are uh, tools of the teachers' unions, and that is not what parents are looking for. No, and in fact, an awful lot of parents, literally millions of parents, have said, I'm pulling my kid out of the government schools, and that's a good thing. I'm going to homeschool, I'm at a private school, I'll parochial school, I'll on-distance, I'll I'll do online learning, I'll do something else other than the traditional government-run K-12 schools. But not every parent can do that. Not every parent has the resources one way or the other. So where does that leave us, and where is it going to leave us if the Democrats manage to hang on to a majority, say, in the Congress uh, after this election tomorrow? Well, I, I don't believe that that will happen for one loss. But, yeah, I mean, it would be a bad either, thing. But... De- Democrat, Democrats have shown that they are uh, the tools of the teachers' unions. They'll do anything that they can to make sure that our kids are forced to go into failing public schools and do not have the ability to go to charter schools or homeschooling or what, whatever uh, parents may be able to want, or want their kids to be able to do. Um, but let's look politically about what, what the teachers' unions have been doing. Um, Randy Weingarten, she's the head of the American Federation of Teachers. It seems that every election that she's touched the past couple of years, every uh, every political race that she's touched has been a losing one, most notably uh, Terry McAuliffe uh, losing to Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. I think more of the same is coming. Uh, I think more of the same is coming tomorrow. Uh, I think that she has shown everybody that she does not care about kids or their education or, frankly, their health. Uh, what she cares about is lining her uh, p- uh, political coffers and extending her uh, political uh, force. I'm talking to Aaron with, who's the director of the Freedom Foundation nationally. I'm with you on that. And and by the way, I don't think that's what's going to happen tomorrow either. Although I always hope for the best, but I plan for the worst. Did we ever get any kind of explanation as to why Randy Weingarten, apparently as part of her job as the head of the biggest teachers union in America, went off to Ukraine? Did anybody ever get an explanation as to what the heck she was doing there and how it was supposed to benefit her membership back in America? 
Nobody got an explanation, but Lars, my theory is this. The Biden administration offered her the opportunity to do that so she'd stop campaigning for these politicians. (laughs) All all she does is hurt them because everybody realizes that uh, she doesn't care about uh, our kids. She doesn't care about their education. That's why they sent her uh, to the Ukraine. And, um, you know, even Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, uh, she last year was begging teachers to go back into schools because she knew uh, politically just how bad that was for her uh, to be keeping kids out of schools. Um, so I think even the left are waking up to, to just how bad Randy Weingarten is. And that's why they that's why they sent it to the Ukraine. You know, Aaron, I have a feeling there are going to be some people out there who say, well, the, but this should not be political. The problem is it is inherently political. If you decide to have a government-run system of education, the money has to be voted by either the Congress or by your state legislature or a combination of the two. And when that happens, it's inherently political. So, And, and in some ways, it's very telling that when the teachers do a bad job, if they're held accountable for it, then our system of government works because it says parents don't like this. They don't like what you've done. They, they may be pulling their kids out of public school and they may be voting for every candidate who is not the AFT candidate because they understand that AFT has not been good for education. That is representative and responsive government, isn't it? If the people do that. Yeah. I mean, let me use a different example laws last year or two years ago, rather, The left had this massive call for defund the police, and uh, of course, I I certainly don't agree with that. But um, the whole premise of that was that there were failing police officers uh, out there and that we needed to defund them uh, so that they didn't exist. Well, let's just use that same uh, same idea and apply it to teachers. If teachers are failing in the classrooms, they are killing our kids' chances of education, and we should fire them. And my wife is a public school teacher. I mean, she'll, she'll tell you and me right now on the phone that there are terrible teachers in schools that are kept there by the teachers' unions. We should not accept this uh, for our kids' education. Yet this is how the teachers' unions have made their living, is by protecting those people and not allowing our kids an actual chance to go out uh, and get the education that, that, that they deserve. You know, it's funny, Aaron, because I get calls from teachers from time to time, and a lot of them say, you hate teachers. I know I love teachers, but I want them to do a good job. And some of the most entertaining conversations I've had with teachers are when I ask them, are there teachers in your building who should not be teaching kids? And they'll kind of, there'll be a big pregnant pause, and they'll say, well, yeah. And I said, but your union supports them being there. Why don't you change that? And they act as though they say, well, that's the union. And I say, well, isn't the union, by definition, made up of its membership? I wouldn't want to be in any kind of union. Well, I don't want to be in a union anyway. But if I were in a union, if the union said, we're going to support the people in our profession who are not very good at it and who do not bring any kind of accolades to our profession, but instead bring shame and disrepute to it, I'd be the first one to say, hey, why don't we have some standards in our union? Let's get rid of the bad teachers and let's keep the good ones. And they say, oh, no, we can't do that. The union's job seems to be to defend the indefensible. Yeah, and let's not confuse this message. We're we're not uh, anti-teacher. We're pro-teacher. We're we're pro-good teacher. In fact, I want teachers to have better wages. I want the best performing teachers to be able to go out negotiate their salaries, be able to get paid more uh, than they are today. We absolutely should want that as a taxpayer. We should want our teachers to be 
further incentivized to go out and provide a better education. But the way that unions have operated, it's completely the opposite. We're, all we're doing is we're protecting these bad teachers and bringing down our top performing teachers in terms of pay scale uh, down to the medium, which is totally wrong. Uh, we, should be, we should be incentivizing a, uh, a good education for our kids. Absolutely. That's Aaron With, who is the director nationally of the Freedom Foundation. Aaron, it's always a pleasure. Your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. This segment of the show brought to you by Valhalla Tea, a perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. That's ValhallaTea.com. Boy, the emails I've been getting, I told you earlier today the story of a man who wrote to me and said, look, I registered to vote in August. And then I went down and I didn't get a ballot. He registered to vote in August. So he goes down to the elections office and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, here's the record that you registered to vote back in August. But the DMV didn't bother to notify the elections office until early November and you missed the deadline. So sorry, you can't vote. And then I had somebody else who wrote to me and said, hey, uh, we were concerned because our elections envelope arrived with no glue on the envelope to glue it shut. So they told the elections office and the elections office said, well, just take a piece of tape and put it over the envelope, but be sure to sign it. But I've had a couple of emails from people who said they got different advice. Just tape the envelope shut. And so you've got the possibility to open up an elections envelope and then tape it shut and they'll still count it. And then I got this one from Brent. Brent says, Lars, I recently filled out my Oregon mail-in ballot. The concern I have is if I change my mind or mess up my ballot, all I have to do to correct it is cross out the wrong vote and then vote correctly. How easy is it for somebody to draw a line through my vote and change it? Is that why Biden wants a few extra days to count the ballot? And I've had just dozens of emails about this very thing from people saying, this is this is crazy. Uh, for example, Kevin says, love your show. Both my ballot and my wife's ballot didn't have any glue either. Didn't think much of it. I just taped it and dropped it off this morning without initialing it. I sure hope my vote counts. I wonder if that's what's happening to Democrat ballots. Is it too late to fix it? And then this one, Pat. I put my ballot in the provided envelope, sealed the envelope. Shortly after I realized I had not completed voting for local positions, not wanting to submit an incomplete ballot, I called the Washington County Elections Office, asked what I should do, since I'd be breaking the seal on the envelope. The elections worker said, no problem, just carefully open the envelope with a knife or a letter opener, finish your ballot, and then reseal the envelope with scotch tape and mail it in or drop it in a drop box. According to the person in Washington County, it happens all the time, and they consider it safe because they assume the ballot is always in the voter's hands before it's deposited or mailed. What a crock. With this system in place, Anybody can open a ballot envelope, make whatever changes they want, insert a different ballot, put a little tape on it, and that's all good. Election integrity, my you-know-what. You can't make this stuff up. To your calls now, let's go first to Dan. Hey, Dan, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Yeah, Lars, I think you're already accepting defeat. I am? How? I think that's what the problem is. You're, you're already making up excuses. There's nothing wrong with using masking tape, Lars. Come on. I'm not sure I'm not sure what you're saying. I'm not accepting defeat. In what way? Well, Where did making, I say you're, you're already making up excuses why you're not going to win, Lars? No, I'm not. What I'm suggesting is 
that when we're told that vote by mail has been perfected by the states of the Pacific Northwest, been doing it for decades so we know exactly how to do it, and then you have ordinary voters Come who write to ours. me. Are you listening? Have, I, have people I, write yes, to me. I, I, Go ahead. I give, peop- I, give, I give old people rides into the ballot to drop them off, and I even carry tape with me in my car. Okay, but that, that's not the point, Dan. If you have a system where when you vote, you can't be sure that the ballot that arrives at the elections headquarters is actually the ballot voted by the voter, isn't that a problem? That's not a problem, Lars. Come on. Not if you're a Democrat. You sound a lot like Joe Biden, so I'm not sure. Let's go to uh, David. David, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network and KMED. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Thank you for uh, all the great information you give to us. I couldn't agree with you more on a lot of things. Uh, Measure 114, I am right there with you. You're spot on. Um, I heard what the the guy said about going to district court at the pass, and I'm a CCW, CCL holder myself. But my question is, and tell me if I'm maybe kind of on the right line from what I've heard you say, if this goes to district court, and let's say that it made it through that and they upheld it, my feeling is that I think it would hit the Supreme Court, and they would rule in favor that that is a bad bill because I, I th- the I last think part of the Second Amendment says shall not infringe. I, I get that, so but David, can I tell you what's going to happen in the meantime? If people in Oregon are foolish enough to pass Measure 114, 30 days after the vote is certified, it goes into effect. So it'll go into effect at the latest by the 1st of January. Do you know what happens then to every gun store in Oregon? They shut down. They, They will not be able to sell any guns whatsoever. And let's say that the measure is then quickly taken to court, quickly taken to federal court, let's say, if you can find a U.S. constitutional issue. And, and I think you're right about the Second Amendment. So let's say it quickly makes its way through the federal district courts, to the federal appeals courts, and then to the Supreme Court. How long is that process? I would guess two to three years. A year? So, no. Yeah. A year? A year to get to the Supreme well, Court? The court is hearing cases right now. It's, it, it will hear cases right now that you won't even hear the result of until sometime next year. So if there's a case that hasn't even gone to the federal court, hasn't gone to the appeals court and lost and then been taken to the U.S. Supreme Court, you're talking about two or three years. So two or three years from now, you say, well, it turns out Measure 114 is unconstitutional. After two or three years, yeah, where no, what's going to happen to everybody who sells guns in the state of Oregon? Well, they're going to shut down their business and you won't be able to buy a gun. The, the thing is, the last part of that, do you think that will end up in major lawsuits for people who are gun holders? No, it, not, not lawsuits. What will happen is somebody will have to sue and say this violates my constitutional rights, but it's going to be years to get a decision. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? 
then go to iraadvantage.com. View the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.